Well, let's, let's pray here while we're still standing. Father, we ask that you would speak to us tonight from your word, and it would be applied to our hearts. We ask for your Holy Spirit now to be our teacher, cause us to hear and heed your, your word. Let's pray again for help as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's uh, turn to Psalm 110. 110. Before we read this psalm, I'd like to begin by just quoting the last sentence from A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy. Actually, it's the last two sentences in that book. Tozer says this, There is a glorified man on the right hand of the majesty in heaven, faithfully representing us there. We are left for a season among men. Let us faithfully represent him here. So Christ is representing us in heaven. Let us represent him faithfully here. Well, let's read this psalm. I just want to look at it uh, briefly here tonight and probably... Uh, the next time I speak also, <clears throat> we'll take the first three verses tonight and the remainder uh, another time. Let me just say that this is one of the Old Testament's most frequently quoted sections in the New Testament. It's directly quoted or made reference to over 18 times in the New Testament. So this, we know this is a very important section of Scripture, so I just want to say that so you listen up. Um, What we see here is an utterance of God Himself an oracle of God given to us by the Holy Spirit. We're told that specifically. We'll see that uh, also in a moment. Well, let's just, let's just read this <clears throat> section here. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. The Lord will stretch forth thy strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people will volunteer freely in the day of thy power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, thy youth are to thee as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. 
the Lord is at thy right hand, he will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. So, we're just going to look at the first three verses tonight, and really mostly on verse 1, which is the one that's quoted the most in the New Testament. Um, Just to get a feel for this, let's just look at a few examples of this. First of all, it's quoted by Christ himself, the Lord, uh, at least twice. One is in Matthew 22, so let's turn to that. We're just going to look at these um, or read through them briefly and then we'll make some comments on them. But Matthew 22 and verse 41, <clears throat> Jesus is dealing with the Sadducees and the Pharisees here. And he says this in verse 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Now, that's the Messiah. Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. Well, they got that right. He said to them, Then how does David, in the Spirit, call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put thine enemies beneath thy feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? Well, he posed the question they couldn't answer. And no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on ask him another question. And they knew they were in over their heads. And uh, Jesus was showing them that... uh, They didn't understand things nearly as well as they thought they did. So, um, another place where Christ um, quotes this section is in Luke 22. This is when he's before the Sanhedrin, right before the crucifixion, as he's being accused. Um, Luke 22. Luke 22 and... Verse 67, we're kind of jumping into these accounts, but they said to him, the elders, council of elders, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, Yes, I am. And they said, What further need do we have of testimony? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. So there's at least a couple places where Christ quotes these verses. Um, Peter in his first sermon after the resurrection there on the day of Pentecost, 
we see him quoting this section, and we'll just uh, skip right into the middle of this sermon, Acts chapter 2, verse 34. There's a long sermon, and this is towards the end of it. And right towards the end of this message, he says this, For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, David says this, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Paul often makes reference to these verses. Uh, One example of that is in the section that we're reading in Ephesians uh, currently. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Or at least we just finished this section. Uh, chapter 1 and verse, uh, well, we begin with uh, verse 20. Kind of hard to cut right in the middle of this, but uh, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That's what he's talking about in Psalm 110, being seated at God's right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So he didn't quote directly, but it's obviously from that section, talking about being seated at, right hand, at God's right hand and having putting his enemies... Um, under his feet. Uh, And then in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 1. And verse 13. In this particular section, um, the writer is proving Christ's supremacy to the angels, and one of the Place, one of the ways he does that is by quoting this section. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet? Are they not all ministering spirits, that is, the angels are, sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So uh, God never said to any of the angels, Sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. And then... <clears throat> uh, in chapter 10 and verse 11, 11 through 14. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So, again, um, many uses, many different uses of this, even this first verse of uh, this psalm. 
Psalm 110. So what I'd like to do here is, is just give some truths that are brought forth from this section, uh, especially uh, the first verse, but uh, a, few th- a few thoughts also from verses 2 and 3. And then we'll go on and look at the rest of the psalm another time. But uh, anyway, seven truths from the first three verses uh, of Psalm 110. The first thing, although David was a very firm believer in the unity of God, that is, there is only one God, he was very familiar with the uh, Old Testament scriptures related to Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Yet here he clearly speaks of two persons as being Lord. Uh, Actually, with a little uh, investigation of the New Testament, we see that uh, there's actually three three persons being spoken of here. Uh, This is the discourse of the Father with the Son, but it was revealed to David by the Spirit of God. Um, Matthew 22, we looked at this. How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord? So you've got the Spirit of God giving this revelation. You've got Lord God Jehovah speaking to God, the Lord, the Son, given to us by the Holy Spirit. So you've got the Trinity there. Um, so the point I'm making here, though, is that this is a clear indication of a plurality in the Godhead. The Lord says to my Lord, uh, the very first line. And this is an a, uh, incredible revelation here. By using the word Lord, actually, the first has the, the, is from the word uh, Jehovah, and it's just translated Lord, but the Lord says to my Lord. The way, we, the way we would understand it is the Lord, the Father, says to the Son, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. So that's the first thing, just a revelation of the... Uh, the persons of the Godhead. Secondly, we see that this second person of the Trinity is of particular interest to David, for he calls him my Lord. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So here you have a situation where they, the, the Jewish people recognized that the Messiah was was going to be a son of David. And yet, here David calls this descendant, this son of his, Lord. The Lord says, to my Lord. Um, so, his son, David's son, is actually also his sovereign. This is what Jesus was bringing out to the Pharisees. He said, how do you understand this? That... Um, David's descendant would be called Lord. David's 
son, you might say, a descendant, is, go, is also his sovereign. Well, that's what stumped them. They just, they, from then on, they didn't ask him any more questions. Uh, if David calls him Lord, how is, how is he his son? No one was able to answer uh, that as far as the Pharisees because they did not understand who the Messiah really was. Um, so this section shows that this son of David is far greater than the greatest king of Israel. David was the greatest king of Israel, but his son was going to be far greater and, in fact, be his lord. Uh, so we see, I think it also shows us really that the Messiah was both human and divine because he was a, a son of David and yet he's Lord. So I think really in this you could draw out the truth of the, the dual nature of Christ, both you know, 100% man and 100% God. Another thing we can see here, this section shows that Christ is far above any angel or principality or power. We've already made mention of those verses where Paul brings that out in Ephesians. And why is that? Well, because he's seated at the right hand of God. We know if this one is called Lord and seated at the right hand of God, which is the position of, of power and, and authority, then he's, he's above any angel or principality or power. So, really... Peter uses this verse also in, in uh, Acts, in his uh, sermon in Acts. The fact that, that he rose from the dead and is seated at God's right hand demonstrate that he, demonstrates that he's Lord. He's risen from the dead. He's at God's right hand, so he's the, the Lord. Not only does it show us that he's 100% God, 100% man, it also shows us that he is co-regent with the Father, that he's being at his right hand, he shares his position of power and authority. So these things, you know, when we read through this psalm, just quickly, we just kind of pass over these things. But what, what Jesus does and what the apostles do is start to unpack what's in this little section of Scripture here. I mean, this is a short psalm, and this is just the first, first verse, and yet it's loaded with truth and loaded with meaning for, for us as Christians. I'd say fourth, we see that Christ's sacrificial work is complete. Now, we'll go into that more the next time because the writer, um, David, brings up the fact that he's a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So we'll talk about this more next time, but I just want to bring it out here. This shows, this section right here, even the first part, shows that his sacrificial work is complete. And again, we already read the verse, but... Every priest stands daily, ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down. So the writer 
uh, of Hebrews picks out one, actually one word to emphasize out of this section, and it's, and it's that word sit. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And he, from that he says, now those, those priests are standing daily. That's because they have to keep doing this over and over and over. Christ's work is done. His sacrificial work is done. So he sits. So just one word out of this is something that the writer of Hebrews picks out. Fifth, we see that although Christ is now reigning at the Father's right hand, all his enemies are not yet subdued. You see, it says he sits at the right hand until. So he's sitting until. Until what? Until I make all thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. We're, we're, in, that, we're in that period between the sitting and the until where Christ is ruling and reigning at the Father's right hand, but not all the enemies are a footstool for his feet. In fact, Paul, when he quotes this uh, and expands on it in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. But he, he brings out uh, this verse again. This is another example where Paul uses it in uh, 1 Corinthians 15:25. Uh, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Now, it's true that they haven't all been put there, but the emphasis really of, of the Scriptures is that all the enemies will be put under his feet. They will be uh, sooner or later subdued. Which brings me then to my sixth point. We see that his rule is even now be, being extended through the world by the power of the Holy Spirit in and through the church. His rule is even now being extended through the world by the power of the Holy Spirit in and through the church. Where do I get that? I get that in verse 2. The Lord will stretch forth thy strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of thine enemies. This is going on now. Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. He's given gifts to his church. And they are extending his rule out in this world. In other words, what I'm doing is taking that word Zion as being a uh, synonym for the church. The Lord will stretch forth thy strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of thine enemies. The scepter was a symbol of the king's power and authority. Christ's rule is extended from Zion, which I believe is uh, the church. Christ is ruling in the midst of his enemies right now in the church. That's part of what we're doing, what's why we're left here on earth. We are to display his power over sin, his holiness, his justice, his goodness to a sinful and hostile world. That's really what began, you see, on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, came upon the church. That was the beginning of this ruling in the midst of the enemies. Let me just turn to Acts here again. I quoted it before, but um, this is, I think this is what uh, Peter's getting at, partly what he's saying here in uh, 
in verse 33, he says, Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you see and hear. Just that, then he quotes uh, these verses out of Psalm 110, and then after that he says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what, sh- what shall we do? In other words, God was ruling in the midst of his enemies. He was showing forth his power in this crooked and perverse situation where the apostles were, were speaking into uh, God was stretching forth his strong scepter from Zion. In fact, it was strong enough that day that 3,000 were saved on that particular day. So he was gathering a great army which will be clothed in holy array. That's, um, that comes up here in just a moment in the next verse. Be clothed in, in uh, holy array. And really, I think that probably makes a reference to Revelation 19.14 which talks about the armies of God which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean. That's the holy array. Well, we better read that verse in uh, verse 3. Thy people will volunteer freely in the day of thy power. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Thy people will volunteer freely in the day of thy power in holy array from the womb of the dawn. Thy uh, Thy youth are to thee as the dew. So... The point I'm trying to make here, especially from verse 2, is that we see his rule is even now being extended through the world, through the power of his Holy Spirit upon working in and through the church. And then, lastly, we see that his people, the church, do actually volunteer freely in the day of his power. They are those who make a free will offering of themselves to God. If you look in the margin, um, if you have a Bible like mine that has these little notes that tell you what the literal translation is there, um, thy people will volunteer freely in the day of thy power, will be a free will offering. Thy people will be a free will offering. That's what happens every time a person becomes a Christian. They make a free will offering of themselves to God. When they see, like David did, that the Messiah, Christ, is not just Lord, but my Lord. When they see that, they're ready to make a free will offering to him. So, though the forces of evil seem overwhelming... Uh, when we look out at the world, and it's surely much more, surely they seem that way uh, to the apostles in, in terms of number. How, how is this little group of people going to make any difference? Uh, they didn't have a problem with that. One of the reasons is they knew this psalm. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy, thy feet. And they knew that... Uh, He would rule in the midst of his enemies, that his people would volunteer freely in the day of his power. Christ is working all of human history towards that goal, that goal of people acknowledging that he's the Lord. 
acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord. <clears throat> now, I'm going to make a little, do a little um, speculation here. I don't have uh, much scripture for this, but I think we could at least uh, interpret a possible interpretation of this part about in holy array from the womb of the dawn, thy youth are to thee as the dew. I think that eventually what we'll see is that the church is like the dew that you see in the morning sometimes all over the grass as the sun comes up and shining upon it, it sparkles. And I think that is a possible reason uh, for the imagery here. In holy array, thy people will volunteer freely in the day of thy power. In holy array, from the womb of the dawn, thy youth are to thee as the dew. Eventually we'll see that the church is is a, a magnificent, beautiful thing that God has done. No man, no man puts the dew there on the grass. God just does it. It's not man's power or provision. It's something God does. And it's like the dew that comes at dawn. God controls that. He brings forth beauty from... Seems like nothing. The dew just shows up on the grass. And actually, I got this. I'm not just totally out here in left field because I got this from Jonathan Edwards. <laughs> he says that we should view the church like the dew of the dawn, where each one, each one little uh, drop of dew is beautiful if you get up and look at it because it's reflecting the light that's shining on it which is Christ each little dewdrop is beautiful but how much more when you can stand back and look at the the fields shining with the light shining upon it says that's what the church is going to look like when we really see it for what it is and what God's done through the centuries through all of all of history it'll, you'll see that it's beautiful it's marvelous and there's a lot of it <laughs> I mean every little drop of dew and, um, out there in the, on, the, on the grass reflecting the light of Christ. That's something to consider anyway as far as the imagery there. Why, why have a delay? Why isn't, uh, you know, why the until, until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet? Why is there still opposition? <clears throat> Well, there's still opposition because God is giving more opportunity that more might volunteer freely in this time and until the until he's giving more opportunity that people might volunteer freely before he comes and makes those that will not volunteer, those who are unrepentant enemies, a footstool for his feet. So, actually, part of our message, which is, I really think, right here in this section, is the king is coming. That's part of our message as Christians. The king, he's reigning, and he's coming again. And you need to be ready. 
you, well, what you need to do is volunteer freely. Because if you don't, you will be a, a, a part of a footstool for his feet. The fact that he's coming again is a comfort for the Christian and a warning for the unbeliever. Well, those are probably quite scattered thoughts from this section. Next time we'll look at the other great teaching from this messianic psalm, which is that this king, this lord, is also a priest. And in fact, he's the high priest. He's the only high priest. And he came after the order of Melchizedek, which is, uh, if you were just reading this psalm, you'd say, what in the world is he talking about? But we have to, you know, put the psalm in the context of what the Bible has to say about this man, Melchizedek. <clears throat> and then it becomes wonderful, a wonderful teaching. So anyway, that, that's next time. So in closing, just I think it's proper to ask the question, have you seen that Christ, the Messiah, is in fact Lord? And he's not just Lord, he's your Lord. Uh, if you have, then if you've really seen that, you will, you've volunteered. You volunteer. You will volunteer freely uh, in the day of His power. Let me let me close with Tozer's quote again. There is a glorified man on the right hand of the Majesty in heaven, faithfully representing us there. He's the Lord. He's my Lord. He's He's there, representing us there. We are left for a season among men. Well, that season's until. He makes his enemies his footstool. We are left for a season among men. Let us faithfully represent him here. How do you do that? You, well, the main thing is you present your, yourself as a free will offering to him. That'll, that'll take care of everything. You're uh, an offering to the Lord Jesus Christ. View your, view your life that way, and you'll faithfully represent him here on earth.